Welcome to the Project Horse Podcast. We're making advanced horsemanship accessible, sharing down-to-earth training advice and practical exercises with horsemen dedicated to accomplishing their goals. Whether you're hitting the trails for fun, training a project horse at home, or refining maneuvers for reining or cowhorse competition, we'll help you take your horsemanship to the next level. Thank you for joining us. Hello and welcome to the Project Horse Podcast. My name is Jake Lundahl and our sponsor for this episode is Drinking Post Waters. We're going to have more about our sponsor later in the episode. But first, I want to get an announcement out of the way. I'm flying solo on this podcast for the specific reason that if you follow our Facebook post, we've just been able to complete our move of the reining horse side of our operation to a new facility in Montgomery, Texas. The facility is called Red Horse Reining Stables. And it's one of the premier reining horse facilities in that area of Texas, in South Texas, in the Montgomery-Conroe area. And, of course, Katy, Texas, the home of the NRBC being there, um, it's just a great community. A lot of reining horse people in the area, obviously a top-notch facility. And we've been looking to expand for some time. We've had a couple of facility changes ever since we launched uh, back in the latter part of 2017 uh, when Luke and I ended our apprenticeship and came up to Nebraska. Since then, the Lundahl Performance team has been growing. We're going to announce new additions to the team in the coming days. But for right now, Luke, as well as his fiance and our assistant Juliana, have completed the move of that side of the operation, the, the reigning horse side, to the new facility in Texas. Now myself, I'm still based in Nebraska and as I said before, we're continuing to grow the team and we're going to have announcements on that in the coming days. So a lot of things in the works, but we're very excited about that. However, with all the logistical complications of getting that move accomplished and getting settled in, Luke wasn't able to join me for this podcast, but we still have a lot of subjects to get to and quite a few listener questions that were submitted after our last episode. So we're going to get into today in this segment, since we've gotten a lot of questions about what types of leverage bits specifically do Luke and I like to use in our training, we're going to try to answer this question a little bit more productively. Now, answering a question about what kind of a leverage or a shank bit is right for you and your horse, that's always a little bit difficult because the answer is always very contextual. If I'm talking to somebody over here the answer I give them for their specific horse might be different to the answer that I give give you over here with the, with this horse. You know, whether we're talking about an older horse or one that's ready to transition out of the snaffle, we're really just after the best setup for that particular horse at the end of the day. That's our basic bottom line disposition. There's no strict progression of we will only use this bit for a certain amount of time before the horse graduates out of it. We're always kind of like water. We're trying to flow down to the area of least least resistance, least issues. We're just trying to settle into a nice area where it's a balance between just effectiveness uh, with what we're able to ask and what we're able to get done with that with that bit versus what the horse is more comfortable with, right? We're always trying to go after that balance. And when we're talking about bits like this, we're stepping into an area of refinement. Once we graduate a horse out of the snaffle, we're stepping into an area of refinement where we have to have a little bit more subtlety, a little bit more feel and intelligence and understanding about what's going to work best for that horse. We've got to have a little bit more insight there 
than just with a two-year-old throwing a snaffle on them. Now, that being said, there are some staple types of bits that we'll turn to for most of our horses. At one time or another, we're going to use a lot of these with all of our horses uh, because, yeah, it's great to be contextual, but it's also not practical to own 3,000 bits. So I just want to say up front that whatever I say here and whatever advice I give, take with a grain of salt because there's an infinite amount of variation in the types of bits, the mouthpieces, the shanks out there. There's not even a general uh, agreement in the industry on the terminology, right? And that's where a lot of confusion gets introduced. There's there's people that get really into the terminology of bits and assigning names to every type of mouthpiece under the sun. And then you'll talk to other horse owners who, you know, wouldn't know the difference between a Billy Clapper and a Billy Allen and a Billy Bob Thornton. They just don't care what the name is, but they know what they like and they know it when they see it, right? And that's all that's important to them. So there's that amount of confusion. But another thing that makes bit shopping hard is just the amount of propaganda. We've talked about this before with uh, the snaffle bits, but it bears repeating that there's a lot of horse owners out there who literally think that if you can't get the job done in a smooth snaffle or a hackamore, you're not a good horseman. Uh, and this just keeps coming up. I saw a quote from a trainer the other day basically saying as much. And my thought was, yeah, that's true if you never really want to accomplish anything in a timely manner. To use a little analogy here, I could, in theory, ride my horse to work every day because I'm ideologically opposed to driving a car that burns fossil fuels, right? But the problem with that is that behavior conflicts with the reality of my situation because a car can get me where I need to go in half an hour, whereas riding a horse would turn my commute into a several hour ordeal. Not only would it take me much longer to get where I need to go, but there's just a lot more work involved to get there. And when I finally did make it to my job, my actual productivity and amount of time I have to do my job during the day has been diminished, right? So it's a lot more work for a lot less benefit. And that's kind of how we look at smooth snaffles and, and things like that. When people are unwilling to kind of graduate up to the next level of effectiveness, especially when their horse really needs it, they're basically taking the long, hard route as opposed to, in my opinion, making the smart choice where you're using the tools available. In my opinion, that's not a bad move because I see many horsemen out there that ideologically are opposed to using something and they take a long time to get the job done their way. They expend way more effort than necessary and they ultimately still do an inferior job to the guy that wasn't ideologically opposed to using what he needed to use to get the job done. So my point is, let's get where we need to go. And in the case of our horses, we can just achieve so much more control and refinement if we have the correct equipment on our side. However, on the flip side of that, there was always subtlety to this. There is something to be said for not using bits as a crutch or an excuse for your horse's poor behavior. The bit, the fit of the saddle, uh, the horse needing a chiropractic adjustment. These are very stereotypical things that many horse owners run to when they actually have a training issue. They actually have a respect and control issue that is rearing its ugly head, sometimes quite literally rearing its ugly head. And in my opinion, and I know, I know Luke agrees with this, there are no miracle bits out there, but there is a middle ground. There's a middle ground between placing all of your faith and trust in a certain bit 
or piece of equipment to get the job done on one side. And on the other side, never stepping out of your comfort zone and experimenting with something that might actually work better for you and your particular horse. There's a reason why most accomplished trainers, especially performance horse trainers, have a tack room full of shank bits, of leverage bits. You have to experiment with a lot of horses and depending on the horse's needs, you know, sometimes conventional wisdom about what is, uh, in some people's opinion, too severe can be wrong. You know, for example, I've known many people who were, uh, they were apprehensive about, say, moving their horse up to a three-inch cathedral port because it's theoretically more aggressive than what they've been riding in, but their horse actually took to it a lot better, was a lot more comfortable in that mouthpiece, and they were able to be a lot more effective as a rider. Sometimes the opposite is true. Sometimes all you need is a correctional, and that spade that you're riding in is overkill, right? Um, but these things are hard to predict, and it's different with each horse, each level of sensitivity, etc. So with all that complexity, the best that we can do to answer what kind of bits do we like is to just make a general outline. And in order to make this segment easier to follow, I'm going to use some of the mouthpieces that are listed on the Tom Balding website. Tom Balding, obviously, Bit and Spur Maker. And they have a very handy catalog online showing many of the different types of mouthpieces that they offer. Although I'm going to mention a couple that are not in the catalog, but it's a good general reference. And it's fitting because Luke and I personally use a lot of their products. I've also had some good experiences with Carrie Kelly, Jeremiah Watt, Ray Mayu. There are many good bit and spur makers out there. Those are just a few whose products that we use. Just whatever you do, stay away from the stuff that you find in your local feed or your tax store. A good rule of thumb is if you're buying a bit somewhere that in the next aisle over they sell goat feed, weed killer, and grease, you're probably shopping for bridles in the wrong place, okay? So, I'm again, I'm going to refer to this catalog that can be found on Tom Balding's website. Um, you can easily find it. I'm going to call out some of the specific numbers so you can see, if, if you have that in front of you or on your phone, you can see exactly what I'm referring to. So, all that being said, as I mentioned before, this is just our general thoughts on the progression that we like to apply with our own horses, beginning when they first transition out of the snaffle. And in the beginning... We're looking to start with bits that have a short shank, which in our book is six and three quarter inches to seven inches long. Um, and just in a, as a general rule, the shorter the shank on the bit, the less leveraging action there's going to be when you apply rain pressure. So that comes in handy because with a horse that we're introducing this to, we want to introduce the concept of leverage to the young horse in a way that's not intimidating, right? This, this is a new dynamic. It's a new feel compared to what they're used to in a snaffle. So we want to make that transition somewhat easily in a way that they understand and will gradually scale up the effectiveness as the horse gets more experienced and their, their confidence grows, right? But for starters, the traditional choice is a tried and true short shank snaffle, also known as a tom thumb snaffle. It's the, the number one mouthpiece in the catalog for those of you following along. And the name of the game with this bit, with a Tom Thumb Snaffle, is just familiarity. You know, we've already been riding a horse in a snaffle of some kind now for a while, and we're introducing shanks for the first time. This is a new exposure to leverage. 
but we're still using the same kind of mouthpiece that they're used to in the snaffle. So it's a nice little middle ground there. From the tom thumb or the, the short shanked snaffle, we'll then often move up to a short shanked bit that has a low hinge port, a low square port that is jointed. And what this allows us to accomplish is we, we give the horse the first introduction to the feeling of an actual port that's going to when, when we pull on the reins, it's actually going to apply pressure to the roof of their mouth, right? But the mouthpiece itself is hinged, so it's not as severe of a pressure directly on the palate or the roof of their mouth. And, you know, if we need to take a hold of the horse two-handed in a way to correct something that's really out of, out of whack, the horse is going to understand the direct pull. Um, so it gives us a little bit of flexibility there. And the fact that the port itself is square means that there's no rounded piece that's going to be extending up into the roof of the mouth on that, that most sensitive part of the palate in the top of the horse's mouth. So you're applying a little bit of leverage. It's definitely more effective than the tom thumb, but still very low key, very non-intimidating. And it's a good initial exposure to applying pressure to the roof of that horse's mouth. Now, some horses are broke enough and quiet enough that you can skip the tom thumb entirely and start them in a bit like this. Uh, the mouthpiece is number 22 on the chart there. You can start them in that kind of a mouthpiece if they're quiet and accepting enough. Oftentimes, we'll just put them in the tom thumb for a couple of days and then go right to this bit. Some horses don't need it. Sometimes we'll keep them in the tom thumb longer. But usually if you're having a, a, a lot of difficulty with that transition, it means the horse isn't broke enough yet anyway. So those first two bits that I've mentioned, both of them had short shanks. What we consider to be short is roughly about six and three quarters to maybe seven inches maximum, okay, in length. After that, we're going to bits that have a medium shank, which we consider about seven and three quarter inches. And oftentimes the next step up from that first hinged port that we put them in earlier is like a medium shank correctional. So the benefit of the medium shank correctional is by this stage, the horse should be mature enough to start handling a little bit more complexity and a little bit more leverage. We're, we've got a longer shank now, so that means more leverage when we pull and we have a larger rounded port, which means there's going to be more effective contact on the roof of the horse's mouth. Now the mouthpiece on the correctional is still jointed, so you're still applying pressure on the tongue as well. And in some cases, if you have to go two-handed and resort to direct rein pressure to correct a bit of stiffness or whatever, the horse is going to understand that feel. Correctional type bits like this are just a standard across the industry in almost every single barn worth its salt. You're going to see several variations of this type of bit, often Guys will have different lengths of a shank on the same mouthpiece. They might have a little bit higher port in some of them and lower in others. And they just kind of adapt to what, what fits the horse best. But in our book, a standard medium shank correctional, you cannot go wrong as a good intermediate bit. So you'll find that with most horses, you can kind of settle into a correctional bit that you really like that becomes the day-to-day -day staple of your training. Oftentimes, we'll keep a similar mouthpiece, but we'll just lengthen the shank. So we'll go from a medium shank correctional to a long shank, again, upping the amount of leverage action that there is. So for a long shank on a bit, we're talking anywhere from eight to eight and a half inches. And we want to stick with a relatively similar mouthpiece as just that basic correctional, 
but we want to start now getting into more effective pressure on the roof of the horse's mouth, on the pallet. And a lot of times at, at most barns that we've been exposed to, some of the best bits that they had that were staples for everyday training for a vast majority of the horses in the barn were a long shank correctional that had a very similar mouthpiece as to what you see on number 33 on the chart, except that on the very top of the port itself, there's a little ball, like a little knob that applies just a little bit more pressure to the top of that horse's mouth. You're able to get a lot done. It's not a big gangly bit. It'll, you know, it's, it'll fit reasonably well in most horses' mouths. And again, it's just the go-to bit for most people for daily riding and training. You'll see a lot of these long shank correctionals. They've got kind of a medium port on them with a little knob or a ball on the very top. Some of them have two on there. And again, that's just about more dynamic pressure on the roof of that horse's mouth. There's a ton of variation within correctional bits anyways, but this is the most common that we've seen. Beyond that, we're getting into a realm where you kind of need to be able to feel out each individual horse and determine what's going to work best for what situation. Number 36 on the chart, for example, some horses might do better in that than just your standard correctional, right? Because you've got the port is a little bit more square, the bars are more rounded, and that might sit in some horses' mouths better than your standard correctional. A lot of older horses do better uh, moving out of a jointed mouthpiece altogether and moving into something solid, either a low uh, or a medium or even a high port solid mouthpiece like number 29 on the diagram. A lot of guys with the more experienced horses especially uh, will migrate towards some type of a high port or a cathedral, maybe even into like a half-breed or, or spade territory, depending on what seems to work best for that horse, how naturally stiff or how naturally sensitive that horse is. A lot of these things are often a judgment call. I think what trips people up is just the infinite amount of options out there and the idea that you're missing out on something, right? And so my advice would be if you have a pretty solid progression up from a tom thumb to some kind of a low square hinged port bit, move up into a medium correctional, and then a longer shanked correctional. At that point, if your horse is riding reasonably well, right, meaning no massive issues, no epic leapy fights sailing through the air, like the cow jumping over the moon, they're reasonably broke. Now you can go into a tinkering mindset. I think this is where we see the most amount of disruption and people getting in the wrong track, is that they are in a tinkering mindset when the horse is still in a green building phase. These horses are too green, or they have issues that really just come down to a fundamental hole in their foundation. That's kind of the standard I go by. If the horse is riding terribly in just your standard correctional or low port mouthpiece, there's no point in getting into a tinkering and experimenting phase. This would be the analogy I use as well. Imagine if you took a professional athlete and you stole their athletic cleats or their shoes or whatever they usually wear for competition and you gave them something similar, but it wasn't exactly what they liked, okay? Like this person, uh, this basketball player prefers this specific style of Nikes and you gave him like a Reebok or something. 
something that he wasn't too familiar with. Now, this guy's a professional basketball player. Is giving him different shoes that particular day going to completely screw him up and end his career? No, because even if he's using suboptimal equipment, it's still good enough to get the job done, and it's not going to inhibit the skills that he already has, right? And that's the way I look at bits, is that you should be able to use a standard mouthpiece that isn't very intimidating and still get pretty decent results. Maybe not the highest levels of refinement that you'll get to eventually, but your horse is riding pretty good, he's pretty solid, he's quiet, he's accepting of everything that you're doing, and you've got no major glaring issues or holes. At that point, in my opinion, you have the green light to go experiment and tinker and try things. You know, ultimately a well-broke horse has a certain amount of tolerance for if a bit isn't particularly right compared to what they would, would naturally get along with 100%, or if a saddle doesn't fit their back exactly perfect, or if the rider is just a little bit out of sync or not as in tune with that horse as the person that normally rides, that stuff doesn't really matter, okay? A well-broke horse is going to be forgiving of that and is going to perform regardless. Now, maybe they don't perform at 100% maximum of what they're capable of, but it's still pretty solid, okay? They don't just instantly fall apart when you change some small element like that. So that's a very telltale sign. A lot of people come to me and say, well, I've been riding my horse in this particular bid in this way for forever. Um, if I try something new or change anything, this horse is going to totally fall apart, okay? And what that tells me is, well, it's not the bit or the particular piece of equipment. It's the fact that we've got this glaring massive hole that the equipment is just a band-aid for. You know, you've got a band-aid over a gaping wound that needs stitches and needs a lot more serious attention here. So the best advice I can give, especially if you're on a budget and you cannot afford a giant tack room full of 300 different types of bits, is to stick with just a standard progression initially until you get to the point where you're riding just a basic correctional with, say, eight to eight and a half inch shanks, and your horse is riding pretty well. At that point, you've kind of passed the test to go experiment and try different different setups, right? But if your horse is riding terribly or you can't get out of a tom thumb without a complete meltdown, that's a clear indication your horse is not broke enough to push forward. Ultimately, the best advice that I can give is to ride with a trainer in person whose opinion you respect and get their, their ideas about what would be better for your horse because... Again, there's such a wide range of variation out there. You just have to experiment to figure out what's going to be best for both you and the horse. So that pretty much sums up our thoughts on everything we want to say regarding leverage bits and just a basic starting point and a general overview of what you should be looking to, to do when you first dip your toe into that water, when you're first looking to transition out of a snaffle bit and what our thoughts on the initial progression should be. We had several other good questions come into our Facebook inbox, so I'm going to keep this episode relatively short, and I'm going to upload schooling pin segments because the answers I need to give to some of these training questions we've gotten are more step one, step two, step three, very technical to the point where they kind of demand almost a dedicated audio lesson. And that's what kind of the schooling pin segment, as we call it, has been about. So I'm going to keep this episode short, but I'm going to upload those audio lessons Immediately after this, they'll be in the podcast feed 
uh, and we'll keep hammering those out. So we've gotten some very good questions in the last few days. Answers are going up in the podcast feed. And if you want to get yours on the show, you can just go to Facebook, type in Lundahl Performance. You'll find our page and you can message the page directly there. And if you have a moment and you'd like to learn more about our sponsor for this episode, I'd encourage you to check out Drinking Post Waterers. Taking care of livestock is demanding enough, and you shouldn't have to worry about basic things like getting your animals fresh, clean water every single day. So if you dread managing their water, if you're constantly breaking ice, paying high electric bills, scrubbing algae, uh, or you don't have water, or you've been carrying buckets, and you need an upgrade, I encourage you to visit DrinkingPost.com. That's www.DrinkingPost.com slash Project Horse. Go there and register to win a frost-free automatic waterer, and you can say goodbye to the constant headache of watering. Drinking Post provides fresh, clean water on demand year-round, whether you live in a hot or a cold climate. So visit www.drinkingpost.com slash projecthorse. You can register to win a free water and learn more about how their products can help you turn a dreaded chore into more quality time spent with your animals. We really appreciate Drinking Post for providing the sponsorship for us to be able to do these episodes, make dedicated scheduled episodes like this, answer listener questions, and keep the podcast going despite the challenges that have come up with the move and expanding and everything else that we're trying to do on many fronts. It's important to us. Our podcast is, it's our baby. It's, it's one of our most favorite projects. And we really appreciate everyone that listens to our show. I can't thank you guys enough for your support. It's been amazing ever since the beginning, and I look forward to doing this well into the future. Thank you guys, and I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the Project Horse Podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating to help more horsemen like you find our content. You can also check out the Lundahl Performance Facebook page. There you can message us with any questions or training topics you want covered on the show. You can also learn about our training program, clinics, lessons, and the consulting we do for horse owners across the United States and abroad. Thanks again for listening. 